Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back for season four, episode three, Feedback. I'm not going to say the name of this episode again. I'm sorry. I can't do it. And if anybody mentions it in the feedback, I'm going to go right past it. (laughs) I don't think anyone did. No, I I don't think anyone does. I think everyone's intimidated by the frigidity of it all. I certainly am. Uh, Shall we get right to it? I don't really have anything to talk about up front. Um, a lot of there's a lot of stuff covered in the feedback. Uh, yeah. Westworld at baldmove.com is your conduit to submit your ideas and your thoughts to the show. Uh, right off the bat, I want to uh, acknowledge the just tremendous interest in the sizes of champagne bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, people shared with me links that said that the show and the one is going for forty thousand pounds sterling. Uh, various people sent in pictures demonstrating people uh, pouring them at parties and whatnot. There was one strapped to like uh, like a furniture dolly that they were with like a fulcrum point. They're using to pour it. And, and uh, awesome. yeah, I, a lot of people's fancies were tickled by these the truly enormous uh, champagne bottles. We just showed uh, we're recording this live on, on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, we just showed off the Melchizedek, which is not as big as I thought it was going to be. To be honest. Yeah, it's it's really only impressive because of its shape, right? I mean, the shape of that it's a bottle shape that you could yeah. conceivably pick up and drink straight out of. Because, like, if it was a champagne keg, no one would bat an eye. They'd be like, oh, True. yeah, you filled a, sh- a keg with champagne. No of big deal. Would. Right. But, uh, but it's the about, fact that it has a four, drinking element. Hmm? I'd say it's about a four foot tall, if I was to guess. Yeah. Maybe three and a half foot. Maybe that man uh, who it's standing next to is like, eight feet tall maybe he's a little person he's like warwick davis's father well then it would make the bottle oh, look even smaller that'd be right? made smaller you're right you're yeah right. maybe he's, he's a, a giant he's andre the giant's nephew yeah uh all right but anyway I, I appreciate everybody sending me uh more information on that because that's fucking awesome uh let's move on to the real meat again westworld at baldmove.com first up is caitlin Asking what we were asking, what a lot of people are asking, where, when the hell did everyone get so cool with flies? Like, I know I might be a bit over the top, but it's the closest I get to actual superhuman when there's a bug on or near me. Who in the right mind sees several flies inside their closed closet door, probably several doors inside their home, and is just like, huh, weird, and then goes inside. I immediately would assume that there's something dead in there and run away, grab fly swatters, anything other than quote-unquote proceed normally. And yeah, I get Caleb is in a locked room with a robot that's holding his arms for some amount of time. But my guy, one, apparently fought in something called the Robot Wars, 
Two, seems to have plenty of combat experience. And three, just saw a human woman playing finger paint with horse guts. And yeah, they didn't say the whole thing out loud, but he saw the infected woman was human, black goo brain, black goo labs, flies infected with the goo, flies attracted to him, flies controlled by sound he can't hear. He has just as many pieces as we have. You're even throwing out that he saw a bunch of people blow their brains out, apparently under the influence of these flies. Mm -hmm. I feel like as soon as his not daughter's face opened up, he should have been kicking and fighting and slapping flies and rolling around. And I don't know, take your shirt off, wave in the air, quickly tie it around your face, shoving her open face, to keep more flies from coming out. Just something. I'm not saying it's a fight he could win, but it does defy all my personal understanding of fight or flight reflexes to just basically lie down and scream for some reason. Uh, is this literally just me? No. No, I, I'm 90% with you here. He, uh, so I, I think, yes, it's a little overblown to see a couple of flies in your closet door and run away screaming. But I also think it's it's perfectly reasonable to see a swarm of flies come out of someone's face and run away screaming uh, that that I understand. So I'm with you like halfway. And people were saying, oh, well, they're holding his hands. They were holding his hands down for like the first second. He was able to successfully slip away yeah. from the iron grip of his daughter's hands. And then I can't because like I'm like if I feel I grow up in the land of deer flies and horse flies. And when you feel their body hit your skin, you have about a second to avoid what feels like a pair of pliers just grabbing and squeezing your skin. Just that pain is enough to. I remember my my buddy Jesse, uh, he was camping with me last year. He flew out from Seattle and he couldn't believe the way I wigged out when a horse fly was trying to get after me. Like I, I, I like if if one of these things bite you and you start getting suicidal, and the thing is, is like, yeah, I know where it's kind of ha ha silly, but I actually think the scene would be more horrific the more the human fight. And it's futile, mm-hmm. right? Because the flies are going to get in you. Of course, no matter what a million you do. of them. Yeah. But like, I think it's more horrific the the more berserk you fight. I think it, it, it sells the, the horror, the body horror of it. So I was a bit yeah. disappointed. I think all those flies were digital. Maybe they told him not move around so much, so it, it makes it easier to animate the right. flies around them. Right. But yeah, I would freak out a hell of a lot more if it was just just deer fly. You know, yeah, yeah. The, anyway. the choreography of these particular kinds of things not the show's strong suit. All right, moving uh, on. We're we're, we're oh, gonna sorry, we're gonna do a thing here because Aaron is sick and he's having a fits of of cough. Um, and his voice is not going to hold out this entire thing because there's a lot of feedback to read. So we're going to switch off and I'm going to read this next one and we'll we'll take turns. Yeah. And I, I feel lucky because I get to say the name out of state bookers, which is pretty strong. Uh, sends in an email and says, I sent a long email about this one. Uh, this at one point. Sorry, Aaron, but thanks for reading. There's a theory in psychology called polyvagal, polyvagal, vagal. <laughs> polyvagal theory and there's a great multiple book vaginas called the body keeps the score the theory posits that there's a relationship between the body and the mind and traumatic events create scars on the mind but also in the body and essentially i think one of the themes going on is we are exploring the relationship between trauma and consciousness and how consciousness is gained through trauma and the subsequent healing maybe it really feels like they've read this book or subscribed to this theory in my opinion and I think he's going to lay out some evidence here. In season one and two, the hosts became conscious through their traumas, the reveries, and the reconciling of the reality with their lived experience. 
which kind of breaks them free from their loops. I think long-term, Shaloris is going to find the path for both host and humans, either toward consciousness or darkness, uh, is quite similar. As you've said, she's maybe on a path closing uh, closer... Nope, maybe on a path following closer to William's narcissism plus cluster B personality traits. I don't know what cluster B personality traits are. That's not, that's not beta. It's paired with narcissism. Okay. Uh, after her traumas where Dolores was on a more conscious path toward more free will and reducing suffering in her fellow hosts. In real life, humans, genetics, and epigenetics play into a, how a person will respond to their suffering, but it does kind of seem like people's trauma responses land across the spectrum or in one of three camps. Angry, vengeful, malignant type of responses where you create the trauma uh, pushed onto you with others. Survival and or coping strategies, neither healing or accepting one's experiences, or a more enlightened consciousness toward one's traumatic experiences and seeing it in others and trying to reduce or prevent suffering. Uh, Like Jim said, hosts might get past their more base instincts more quickly because they can simulate time and other realities faster, but I think essentially hosts and humans will end up following the same path to consciousness, uh, conscious awareness, which will probably mean a lot of cruelty and problematic behavior from hosts before the end of the series. More of a thematic theory than a specific testable one, but I'm curious as to your thoughts. Um, so this is something you talk about uh, genetics and epigenetics, the fact that like our genes are malleable by the way they're expressed in their environment. So like if you were born at a time where famine was widespread, uh, your, uh, your, the, the, the biological markers to control your f- metabolism can actually change and that change can be inherited by your children. So like they might have lower metabolisms because, you know, that's, that's one of the ways we kind of adapt to our, and then there was, that was explored in Westworld or not Westworld. I'm sorry. Watchmen where they talk about, you know, some of the trauma that's been inflicted upon, uh, particularly black people in, in particularly this country in America, uh, for generations, uh, can cause you know that that stress to be carried uh, those stressor genes does uh, that with has all kinds of negative effects on your biology and your emotional state can can be passed down through generations that didn't directly experience those same stresses um, so I think I think Westworld is definitely exploring that my my question with all of these because there's the, I've seen this line of thought a couple times the thing about hosts is you can kill them a million times and bring them back and keep killing them and bring them back and keep killing them. Mm-hmm. You can't really do that with a human, unless not yet. And, and again, I've 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 been yeah not yet. I, I've been kind of anti Christina's world being a simulation, but the one way you could do that was with some kind of matrix construct mm-hmm. where you know you're not really killing the person, you're just forcing them to have all these experiences over and over and over again. I still not super high on the Christina's world simulation theory, but that's the one thing. Now there's, there is a really dark interpretation where the host might decide, well, the only way to have them go through this multiple generations would be literally through their children. So we're going to torture the hell out of humans and let them reproduce (laughs) and keep doing that. Keep doing that until those epigenetic factors get pushed so high that they push through in the true consciousness. Yeah, that is pretty horrific actually. Sure. And could take on the order of thousands of years too. Yeah. I feel like a lot of uh, intergenerational trauma that's inflicted is unintentional, but doing it intentionally is a whole nother level of fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I, I like it. I just, um, I'm not sure how it would express. Like 
I, and it does seem like this show can span perhaps thousands of years. They've hinted mm-hmm. at that. So maybe that, that, that's, or the other thing is like you just upload the, upload the human into a, a host body, a host marble, and then you can put them through the ringer. So, yeah. Not sure I'd call them human at that, after that point. There might be something, some homo secundus, uh, <laughs> you know, what came, what came after. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I will take the next one, Oklahoma Paul. Says, okay, guys, maybe I'm missing something super obvious, but who were the robots in the robot wars? When I think of robot wars, I envision a Terminator style war, humans versus actual robots. But after seven years, it appears that the hosts are still hiding behind their real world personas. They weren't the humans adversaries in the robot wars and the supercomputers that were manipulating humanity were destroyed in season three. So they weren't really playing a part in those. I get that there was a collapse of some sort after the supercomputers were destroyed, but that doesn't strike me as a robot war. What am I missing? whole bunch of cable laying robots fighting against Caleb and his buddies. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, I don't know. Shaloris had this whole army that she was creating, right? There were like host after host after host being printed at the last into last season that sure. might have had something to do with it. But it's weird because we skipped I, I over all that. I, I, and I think it was definitely a, a secret war, a guerrilla war. Think of Sarah Connor okay. in like, you know, before the how, how she was fighting against you know cyberdyne um is all very clandestine um it's all very she seems like a crazy person to everyone else that doesn't know the reality of what she's fighting against because i don't think these hosts are public so i i don't think this is like a robot wars in in the sense of like it was front page news it's more of like caleb and his group of 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 maze people you know uh because remember dolores bequeathed him uh, his own army that had been indoctrinated to, uh, you know, be against the the AI overlords and all that stuff. And I, I think, and there was at least one robo hobo left. We think at this facility that they've referred to as a lighthouse. Yeah. Um, unless you're on board of thinking that that was a, pr- I, I guess if you think what Maeve saw in episode one is a premonition rather than her ruminating over the past, then maybe this is controversial, but I see that this is her thinking about the past and mm-hmm. seeing her and Caleb taking that thing out at the lighthouse. Yeah, so I think you're right. It's all it's all black ops from the humans' perspective. Um, they're let alone the humans are have no awareness that this is all going on. So I think that's the only thing you're missing: the fact that it was a much more guerrilla, covert type of thing. Oh boy. You might not be fond of the assimilation idea, but you know who is? Aaron O. Aaron O writes in and says, I think Christina is in a simulation video game, and aside from the clues that have already been widely discussed, I have some other reasons why I think that a virtual park is the answer. Uh, in the recap they play at the beginning of the season four, they included a scene of Sh- Charlotte saying that the most important thing Delos does is the research project. That is where the value of what they do is. They also show a scene of Charlotte shooting the guy who figured out that the real purpose of Westworld was to decode the guests. And Shaloris, um, now as we're referring to her, says in Well Enough Alone that it's not feasible to replace every single human as a host. Making a virtual park allows for far more people to put themselves in a position to be decoded by Delos uh, than the parks could ever provide. The overhead is lower and the volume of guests is significantly higher. Given that Rehoboam and its predecessors, uh, etc., are gone, Delos discreetly collecting this data again and adding to it uh, it to the forge is extremely advantageous 
from not only Shalora's big plan point of view, but also as just a function of a giant corporation like Delos. Uh, it's probably going to feel real Matrix 4 real fast, but what can you do when a plot of a TV show you've been planning out for almost 10 years ends up colliding with a reboot of a franchise dealing with similar philosophical questions? Uh, boy, this is an email. I think the idea of the physical park coming back as temperance is to get those powerful people in the park to decode, influence, or replace and fly them. Yeah, and I think we saw that's pretty much confirmed at this point. Uh, the park costs so much money to operate, it makes sense to get the very people you're looking to replace to fund it. And it carries the added benefit from Shalora's POV of the host not being able to, or sorry, the host being able to hunt the guests for sport. At the end of the day, whatever the philosophical plan is, corporations get a corporation and extract value as cheaply as possible. Uh, and just P.S. The song Video Games is not about an ideal relationship. What? It's about the hollowness of what appears to be an ideal relationship that's ultimately unsatisfying. And the woman singing it is left wanting still and feeling ignored, which is why the melody is so sad. Oh, all right. You know, there's going to be a lot of millennial slash zoomers um, really rethinking their first dance at the wedding music because <laughs> right. it's certainly, I don't think a plain reading of the song, but of course, you know, that, uh, that I guess whether Lana Del Rey's thoughts about, the song influence you is you know whether you think of, you believe in the death of the the author um but yeah i can also now when when i, I was replaying their lyrics in our mind i can kind of see uh what aaron's saying here for sure i'm talking myself out of this simulation video game theory stuff like the more that i see that could be like a Dolores with a human mind and a physical host body and the, the far future or not even the far future necessarily but like 20 years on when they get like you know the forged data and stuff and maybe she's in there I I don't know there, there are a lot of ideas but it, it's hard to support based on what we've seen on the screen that it's a simulation yeah that's the thing I don't get about the simulation it's like um, this email I don't think on, uh, doesn't explain why it has to be a simulation rather than a meat space park. That's my only like. If if you say it's mm-hmm. a simulation, and the thing is, it could turn out to be a simulation. Absolutely. I I just don't see what the evidence is. It seems like everything we've seen so far is this is a real world place that's built into it. You know, well, there is I, a tower. Why do you even say that? I don't know that there's evidence to to shade either conclusion. I think both of those are still very much a question mark. I, yeah, I guess that's because a virtual space is a place that people might be excited about being anyway. Right. Like it, but the tower is a real thing. You agree that the tower is a real place. Like we see, we see hail stomping around it in places in the trailer and stuff. Like why would she, yeah, I do. Why would they have a control? Like, like if you were, if you were doing a simulation of the West world and you're going to redo it as a simulation and a VR thing, why the fuck would you put a control room in that VR space? Yeah, that's fair. The Mesa. Why would you put the Mesa in the controls, you know, in, in the, the, the play space? Uh, yeah, that's the only thing I that, I guess that's the, the biggest uh, opportunity. The other is like the guys physically going down a staircase and being excited. I don't know why, but that seems more meat space. than. Ver- <laughs> I guess it's they could have loaded in together and then they're like excitedly moving around in VR. But like totally. I, those those are the things that kind of sway me 
Um, but yeah, it could be that she starts uh, realizing stuff and the aspect ratio starts, creep, you know, <laughs> yeah. changing and then I'll know I've been had, but we'll see. Let's move on to Kyle's. It says, I support Jim's claim that Dolores is in a video game or simulation. My tiny bit of backup is the violin cover of Lana Del Rey's song called Video Games. It plays almost any time Dolores has a voiceover. Just something small I caught. But what does that mean? I don't I don't know why that well, so lends like, itself to simulation. It's just on the face of it. If you have someone that's got a theme that plays, and it's called video game like every single time. But the thing is, oh, is just like, the name I of the song. Gotcha. I would challenge Kyle. It's like, I not, is this happening literally every time she's talking or is it the one time she had this big soaring speech that led up to reveal of Teddy? Because I think that is more close to then it has become like uh, uh late motif. What is what? Light, like, like light a, motif as far as I'm light aware. motif. I, I think it's, it's, it doesn't feel like that. Like, I feel like it's only happened once. It's not every single time she speaks or, you know, has a, some kind of voiceover thing. I could be wrong though. And if, if I'm wrong, if this is like assistant, everything that she, every time she narrates something, yeah, that certainly becomes evidence. I don't think it's super strong evidence, but it's, it's definitely evidence. I have not really noticed it if it has played multiple times. So yeah, we'll see. All right. And Louise says as a prof- as an opera professional, I thought I would pipe in. First, watch out for dinners. At the beginning of the opera, Don G kills the father of one of his conquests. Much later, Don G ends up hiding in a graveyard. Uh, Don Giovanni, she's talking about here. Yeah, the, uh, the opera. Yeah, uh, ends up hiding in a graveyard, and a spirit of his father comes to life and warns the wicked Giovanni of his doom. But the arrogant playboy just invites the spirit to dinner. At the end of the opera, the commend- commend- commendatore. Yeah, that's that's his father. Uh, the the spirit indeed shows up for dinner and offers Giovanni a final chance to repent. But when Don Giovanni refuses to show repentance, uh, the spirit of his father sends him to hell on the spot. Second, Don Giovanni has a faithful sidekick, <laughs> Le- Leporello. That sounds right. Uh, he is so faithful and so similar that they are in fact interchangeable. There is a mistaken identity swap between them in the back half. Third, Don Giovanni is famously genre-defying. Opera as a rule is extremely faithful to the rules of its type. However, Mozart starts Don Giovanni as an action-adventure, turns it into high comedy, and ends as a terrifying ghost story seamlessly. It's the opera that does it all. Last, on a purely practical note, whenever a company decides to do this show, the first question at the first production meeting is, how are we sending him to hell? And it isn't unheard of to use the orchestra pit lift uh, if you can put the orchestra somewhere else. So the instant reference of Maven Caleb's ride down on the pit lift from the stage is Don Giovanni's descent to hell that he couldn't run out, outrun any longer. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I think I've remembered. Uh, I did like that too. I thought that last note was pretty that they're going into a personal hell. Um, yeah. What seems literal in the case of Maeve. Uh I, I, yeah, there's like a like a, a doppelganger, interchangeable doppelganger kind of thing going on here. The uh-huh. the 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 literal descent into hell. Uh, if I recall correctly, this um, we watched Amadeus not too long ago. There was a, um, and I know that's a kind of a fictional account of his life, but uh, the I think they do show him writing this and performing mm-hmm. it, and that there's the terrifying thing of his his father, you know, co- coming uh, to. So I, I remember how this stuff is all staged. 
uh yeah i appreciate that uh that background um and it gives a us a, a lot of thematic stuff to, to work with uh shall we move on yeah David says, I noticed when Christina walks on the street outside her house that street lamps look similar to the tower images she finds at her hospital. I wonder if the tower and the lighthouse are actually the same thing. Perhaps Christina is in a simulation or park that reminisces on the robot wars, quote unquote, and the attack on the lighthouse. Maybe that's why the kids are so jazzed when coming down the stairs because they know things are going to hit the fan soon. Hmm. So this is essentially the massacre <laughs> at Westworld. They're rolling back all the old hits. Yeah could be um Maybe. i know a lot of people saw the street lamps looking at the, similar to the tower if it is the actual lighthouse um i mean that, that goes back to whether you think mave was thinking back on things that already happened or thinking ahead to the future and i think again that my evidence for the fact that this is something that has occurred is that caleb wasn't particularly scarred at the end of last season uh he has visible facial scarring which would be like what i'd expect for someone who survives a grievous wound yeah um and it's not to say because this show does rhyme a lot it's not to say that that can't happen again like there it wouldn't be another robo hobo in the middle of this tower but i don't think it's the lighthouse um yeah, I, I'm with you. I think like the the facial scarring and just the whole feel of that made it seem like it was in the past. Uh, all right, cool. patches. O'Houlihan says people have noted that Peter Myers shares the same first name as Dolores' father, and that he kills himself like Teddy did. Dad, one more on top of that. Peter's story isn't far off from what happened to William. Conspiracy theories, falling out with the family, everyone dies. Perhaps this Peter is a composite of all the men Dolores once had in her life or of all the men that Dolores corrupted. Another random thought that doesn't seem to have legs. What if Dolores is inside some new wasteland of Rehoboam? I like the idea that when Dolores had her entire identity wiped, that her mind defaulted to her core fundamental self. And that self is the human she was based on, Christina. It doesn't really jive based on based off uh stills from trailers of future scenes and what other people have theorized but i really like the idea that we are seeing some proto dolores mixed with rehoboam anyway it's a sauce i've made i'll leave the theorizing to the professionals i still am pretty cold on the christine as an actual human or that dolores was based on a pre-existing human pre-park like again i could be wrong on all those i just don't see the evidence for it and i don't see how the timeline like, if this Christina is literally the basis of Dolores, then our timelines are all fucked up because Ford and Arnold started working uh, on the Westworld, what would become the Westworld Park around our time, like in the right. 2015s, 2020s. And if Christina was before that and she's living in this society with flying cars and shit, I just don't see it. Doesn't make a lot of sense unless you say that that person who was the original Dolores has been put into a host body and that she's human in those terms. She's got the human brain patterns, but in a host body and now she's living in the future, which does have the flying cars. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are a lot of ways around it, but I don't know. The, the last couple of days I've been noodling on this idea of like, why is her boss hell bent on having her tell only depressing dark stories? Mm hmm. And one of my ideas was, well, that's how you find a human. Like, if there's any, like, optimism or, like, happy thoughts, it's it's probably a host and versus, you know, a guest. And this goes back to my idea of, like, maybe she is reverse engineering the humans 
uh, data so that they can take that unencrypted data and match it with decrypted stuff in the in the forge and try to like break through uh, the encryption that way. But I've also been thinking maybe the flies only work on people who have kind of depressing, sad outlooks on life. They they tend to be you know depressive or trauma responsive, and it doesn't work so well on people who are optimistic um, uh, and, and more easygoing. So they're trying to like like the, the the humans reject the stories that are too happy or they don't identify with them. Um, I'm trying to think of a single character in this show that we could test that theory on. <laughs> like, right? Are there any not broken, depressed people in this show? Even Caleb's daughter is already you know right? pretty traumatized because his epigenetics and the fact that he's kind of like uh, seems like Elsie, but she's dead. She's long dead and like right. Even even her, I, I yeah, I can't think of a single character who we could test the theory on. I don't know. I mean, this is kind of why I like the idea of hey, all of the humans are being put into host bodies, and then the maze is the 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 symbology of the maze is being run on them, right? Like they want to evolve the humans, not just in their form, but in their thought patterns too, right? Um, so they're putting them through this trauma and trying to make them real boys. Let's move on to Sarah, who says, I must be losing my mind because I swear they said the horses were extinct, hence the robot horses in Westworld. So where did the horses the senator's wife is eviscerating come from? I've Googled, but I haven't seen anyone else talk about this. What am I missing? This came up last year in our wrap up podcast, and I can't remember if it was you or Kim who was theorizing based on the fact that there is a lot of megafauna gone extinct. As far as I can tell. And if you look this up on the the Westworld Wikipedia on the fandom.com site, uh, under the entry for Bengal Tiger, there was in the expanded material and the Delos Park destination stuff that you could explore in the, the alternate reality game, there was a line that said something along... Well, I'll just read. I'll just, I'll just click on this link and quote it. Um, it says, uh, If being pampered by a world-class spa isn't your cup of Darjeeling tea, the park's jungles and mountains are your only chance to glimpse magnificent beasts long vanished from your world. And and a lot of people uh, thought that maybe they're talking about the Bengal tiger. But as the entry points out, they have never specifically said that any particular type of animal is extinct in the world. Hmm. Just that there are some, and the only place you can see them is the recreations in Westworld and and uh, uh, Raj world and, and things like that. Uh, so, I mean, there was a, I think you had a, a th- uh, someone had a theory based on like the dog can't be real cause it's extinct. It must be real, but no, there's no evidence that anything like horses or dogs or cats or any th- relatively common animal has gone extinct. Uh, gotcha. I think this is probably people who listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of Reddit, but like it's been five years and, you remember something about extinct animals and only being at Westworld, but like, and, and, and I'm open to my mind being changed on that. Cause it'd be an interesting source of theory crafting, but I can't find anything that says that there, uh, there are specific animals that have gone extinct in the time of Westworld. I'm sure they have, and they acknowledge it, but like something like horses, cows, things like that. Nah, I don't think so. Uh, so I hope that clears things hmm. up going forward. Yeah, it does. All right, Josh says, an idea occurred to me while watching this episode of what Shalora's goal could be. By possessing world leaders and whatnot, could her goal be to gain rights for the hosts, prove some kind of sentience, and then gain some legal rights and protection for her children? 
she admits she can't replace them all and war can be extremely costly uh yeah i think by you know by horse or by force she's gonna do that by by trojan horse or by force the thing is is like how soon will it be before because i i just like like replacing the vice president i feel like is on a bit of a clock because sure. i i'm aware i think the vice president is has a very thorough health examination at least on an annual basis i think it includes like a full mri scan like you're president of the united states you're going to get like yeah they're going to catch cancers that are like microscopic they don't want you to die sure. uh so like i don't know how because because if i'm thinking okay i'm gonna take over these world leaders and start proposing ai um rights bills and there is something you know they had this robot uprising in westworld there's like uh you know the, the, the tenor of the world seems to be anti-ai pro-human intelligence supremacy I, the, the first thing is like well you guys are robot lovers or oh my god you might be a robot the second the one human is revealed to have been replaced by a host mm-hmm. like if or the rest even of the heads full of goo, yeah, black goo. If the rest of the world doesn't instantly say like, well, every uh, one of our world leaders needs to take an MRI scan right now because we want to yeah. see if there's marbles in you, then I don't know what the fuck. Yeah. So I don't think they're trying to. And that's the other thing is like, man, uh, especially recently, the rights you have and the laws you think they're in your country could be changed in uh, in in one uh, cultural sea change sweep like so if they were to secure through democratic means quote unquote through manipulation or whatever these rights on paper the second they started doing weird shit like infecting us with flies well, you could just tear that shit up now mm-hmm. there is this kind of idea of like when is it too late you know when can they get along until but i i don't yeah. know I, I feel like that what they're doing is a lot, a lot more brute force and and they're just going to wholesale replace us. I think they're going to re- replace us with the the with enough key hosts and key positions, and the rest fly ridden humans that they can manipulate us into killing each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're they're hinting at. Yeah, if they could cause a war, uh, increase paranoia, I think all, all that stuff is useful for them. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. William D. This is a very sussy name. William Dalos, perhaps? The man in black sending us email? I don't know. We'll see. It could be. William says, I have some limited experience with cryptography from grad school and had some thoughts on your question of partial decryption could help decrypt all the forged data. Most of the information that I'm uh, reciting here is adapted from the book Serious Cryptography. The too long didn't read version is the ability to watch data get encrypted and decrypted by an encryption algorithm can in fact help the attacker discover the key that was used to encrypt the data. 
There are two general methods for attacking an encryption system, the black box model and the gray box model. In the black box model, the attacker can see input and output from the cipher, but cannot see how the cipher is functioning or have access to the physical or digital components, i.e. the software or hardware. The gray box model, the attacker can see the input and output from the cipher, but also has access to the computer or device that actually houses the algorithm. This actually is a much more common form of attack as the attacker typically has access to the physical or virtual device that is doing the encryption and has knowledge about how the algorithm works. Modern day algorithms such as AES are so powerful because we have all, all have access to how the algorithm works and the actual implementations of it, but it still can't break the encryption unless we can guess the particular key that's being used. The gray box model of attack offers a wide set of vector attack vectors. The attacker can view all analog components of the system as it operates, viewing things like the power consumption of the device, the electromagnetic emanations of the as the algorithm runs, even the chemical properties of the microchips that house the encrypted data or algorithm. All these variables can help the attacker discover the encryption key that generated the cipher text. Now, how is this applicable to Westworld? The goal of the attacker is to get access to an encryption key. They don't have it. They either need to get access to Bernard's uh, marble or guess the key. So they have to use various methods available if they have access to Dolores's or Christina's data. There's two types of attacks that they may um, be most applicable to the current situation. The chosen plain text attack and the chosen ciphertext attack. The first chosen plain text attack is when the attacker can choose the text to encrypt and then view the corresponding ciphertext in order to gain insight and in how the cipher is operating. However, they cannot decrypt that same data. The chosen ciphertext attack, on the other hand, can both encrypt and decrypt. That is, they get to perform encryption queries and decryption queries. This model may sound ludicrous at first, because if you can decrypt, what else do you need? But decrypting something is not always enough to break a system. For example, some video protection devices allow attackers to perform encryption queries and decryption queries using the device's chip. But in that context, attackers are interested in having the key in order to redistribute it. In this case, being able to decrypt for free isn't sufficient to break the system. Hmm. So perhaps the attacker is using the chosen ciphertext attack to try to discover the encryption key for the forged data. We're operating under the assumption that Christina is telling stories that are based on host data that Dolores has pulled from the forge. And perhaps the attacker is having Christina continuously tell those stories so they can watch the algorithm, uh, encryption algorithm work and potentially discover this key based on what they already know. They have access to the plain text and cipher version of the data Christina is using to tell these guest stories, i.e. they decrypted part of the forged data or have another means of access some of the guest data. Then watching the algorithm go through the process of encrypting and decrypting that known data could provide valuable insight to uh, help discover the encryption key that's used to encrypt the forged data. Once they know that key, uh, they don't actually need the key in Bernard's head as they've essentially generated the key themselves by analyzing data Christina has access to. So, I guess... My my guess my, my I guess my guess was right that this could be a way if they're getting her to remember particular hosts or I'm sorry guests that she read in the forge mm-hmm. uh, or I guess it could even be the host data it works either way um, if that stuff is high fidelity if she's like got a hundred percent of that stuff accurate then they can use that to scan through the encrypted data and see you know what what matches and give them clues to decrypt it so. I mean, I'm still it, high on my theory. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. That would work. Potentially. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Becky writes in and says, I'm writing because in all of my podcast listening, I haven't really heard anyone talk about the potential implications of Maeve constantly attempting to use her powers on Delos's bad guy tech. 
Except Every, for this podcast, you mean this podcast? Because yeah. I've been talking about it all the time. Everyone, <laughs> every once in a while, yeah, we see her trying, and it gets harder. Um, so she says, every time we see her struggle a bit in one of these encounters, all I think about is machine learning. They want her to struggle because each time she does, they learn more about how she works. We just saw it again on this last episode with her lock override. They never really meant to keep Caleb out. They wanted to infect him. They needed her to break in, but why? Sure, could be that she that it's just to be sure they know how to keep her from screwing up their plan. But my new theory is that they need her for the plan to work. If the evil black goo is tech driven, maybe nanotechnology, it seems clear that we uh, they have not quite found a way to manage it with any elegance. Right now, it feels very much like a crude tool. Is it possible Maeve may be the key to communicating with this goop that Charles, uh, that sorry, Shaloris and William can't master on their own? Possibly Caleb with the additional motivation they need to learn more from Maeve. Motivating her to find a, a way into his mind and bypass their current approach in a way that they can learn from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of what you were theorizing, right? Yeah. I mean, she's got um, another a wrinkle, yeah. wrinkle to it that. Um, so remember in season two where it wasn't a Clementine they infected with a, 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 a mental virus that was spreading through the mesh network. So as she got within yeah. like 100 yards of hosts, they started killing each other and going berserk. Yep. That's a hell of a lot more efficient than releasing flies into the wild and hoping that humans get it. So, like, if they're trying to combine Maeve's sonorous power and and understand it to work on uh, humans so they can, you know, spread this thing wirelessly, that would be a, a huge... Yeah, we just don't have those communication boon. systems built into us, you know? That's the thing. As far as we know, we're unable to communicate in any kind of ranged way aside from sound waves... Uh, which I potentially we could pick up and it sh- could short circuit your brain, you know, communication through sound waves is, uh, sounds like they've already got that with the flies. So if they could figure out a way to induce that without the flies, they would have yeah. something. I, I still figure think it's out a way for us to hear the tower. Uh, it, like if, if, um, if Maeve is essentially professor X, you know, and she's got these vast mind control powers when it comes to technology, inventing the magneto helmet would be super fucking useful. But mm-hmm. if it also would apply to infecting humans more effectively or controlling them more effectively, I mean, that's the cherry on top of the Sunday. So I'm pretty because I, I the more I think about it, the more I think this is right, because you're right. Like, that's a smoking gun. They didn't want Caleb not to be in that room. They wanted right. him to freak out and go rescue his daughter. Why but they wanted Maeve him to think so that, that he couldn't get in there, right? Like he they wanted him to want to be in there and not realize that it was too late before it was too late. But if those doors weren't locked, like who like because like in that state, like why would anyone expect someone to break in and stop that experiment? Like, why would those doors be secured necessarily? So sure. I keep on coming back to it just seems like. Yeah, I don't think the goo is nanotech, though. I mean, we clearly see, uh, you know, microorganisms right, right. Uh, roaming around in that goo. So it feels like that's not part of the Mave thing, but the Mave thing could just be getting, you know communication and and even just like stopping her because she's a a genuine threat to their plan could just be that they want to learn more about her and stop her i also want to consider her ps there oh also uh she says ps also haven't heard much talk about the name christina as in christ is she being set up as a savior and by who it's so obvious that i almost missed it um or i did miss it uh 
I've talked a lot about Dolores being this messianic figure, this deliverer. Um, it could be that Christine, like uh, once the Dolores dies and if she rises again, she's Christina. She's Christ-like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got a bunch of questions. Like, you know, the, the question of Christina is not like, is she Dolores or is she connected to Dolores? It's how, because what we thought was Dolores was completely obliterated. And mm-hmm. there's numerous ways you could recreate her as been shown in the show. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I like this. I like the that this is tagging her uh, even more so as a Christ figure. All right, let's move on to Zach S. Why was Bernard in the Sublime for so long? Of one year of real world time is a thousand years of Sublime time, and Bernard was in there from the end of season three until long after the Robot Wars. What was he doing in there for thousands of years of Sublime time? I would imagine information transfers incredibly quickly into Sublime. It's illustrated by Bernard just blinking and having seen all possible futures. If the current timeline is seven years after the end of season three, that's already 7,000 years of sublime time. Sublime time! Uh, for what he actually did in sublime, I would imagine Bernard would have could have accomplished the same thing in a few seconds. Did Bernard time his return specifically to put himself on his path, hanging out in sleep mode until the correct moment? Perhaps he could have woken up sooner, but chose not to, so he could meet C at the right time. Otherwise, the logic doesn't track, does it? Mm, my reading of this is that reality and the the causal nature of it is very complex, extraordinarily complex. And not only have they spent, you know, probably a thousand to multiple thousands of years uh, calculating all the possibilities in the sublime before Bernard got there. But then once he got there, he probably wanted to double check all that stuff. He probably wanted to find a way that didn't result in him dying. I'm assuming he's both looking through the catalog of possibilities that they already have, which would be gigantic. I mean, every, every time a butterfly flaps its wings, the course of history has changed. Think, Mm -hmm. think even smaller. Think every time an amoeba takes a left or a right, the course of history has changed. So like (laughs) the sheer amount of data there is mind boggling. And then I assume he would also be doing uh, not just looking through the calculations, but maybe doing them over again to be sure that they got them right. The other thing is, I think there's a, a fundamental mis- mental un- misunderstanding of how simulations work from the simulated systems perspective. Like uh, one example is like we've seen like in Star Trek Next Generation data, pick up a book and just flip through it. And he's read the whole thing. And I think like people conce- conceptualize that as data going like, and he under, but like from data's perspective, he is flipping those pages at human speed and reading every word and comprehending them just like you and I do. He's sure. just doing it at like a thousand times faster. He's not mm-hmm. literally just like he's so like if um, a climate scientist runs a simulation a thousand times to show like, you know, what could happen uh, from the perspective of the computer that's crunching those numbers. It's not like there's a thousand climate things. It's like doing basic math at, you know, what you would consider comprehensible orders and speed or, uh, or process. It's just happening so fucking fast from an outside perspective, but to the computer, mm-hmm. it's just doing one thing at a time. I don't think Bernard is just like when you see his blink and he's like, that was to sell you perhaps thousands of years of simulation that he's experiencing um, at an incredible rate. But for Bernard, he is, I think, in real time, essentially walking these timelines and yeah. seeing 
from his perspective, it's it's he doesn't feel superhumanly fast. So it's like if you if you had an infinitely long life and you wanted to go on a chalkboard and work out, you know, a simulation of climate, you could do that. Right. Um, it might take you a thousand years to do those thousands of different simulations. But if you were inside a simulation from your perspective, you could just do that so much faster. Does that make sense? So, like, it's not like Bernard's in there just fucking around for thousands of years. He's working hard. Like, that's, like Jim said, a super complex simulation, far beyond simulating the climate, which is already a stupendously uh, right. hard thing to simulate. So, I, yeah, I, I think it's supposed to be more of, like, a, a mind-blowing thing that you can simulate thousands of years of human history in the space of a few years, more than it's, like, you know... Bernard's just in there fucking around and 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 sandbagging it, but sure. it depends on your perspective yeah. and your frame of reference, right? Yeah, right. Is it my turn? Uh, no, I think it's mine. Okay. Uh, Hannah F says, "I thought I would give some of my personal opinions regarding the repetitive nature of the Westworld and Shogun Parks." I got the impression that you guys thought that guests would be super disappointed if they went to Westworld one summer, then for vacation on the next break, tried out Shogun World and found themselves experiencing the same narrative. I don't think they would. Being a Universal Orlando pass holder, I go to these theme parks as often as possible. I ride the same rides, watch the same shows, and stand in the same themed queues and love it every time. Usually catching a new detail or magical moment while enjoying the fantasy world far away from real life. Universal announces they've released a new virtual experience and I'm on my way. Spoiler alert, a bad guy shows up, we fall into danger, then the hero saves us. In the end, I am cheering and the park has my money. I get it. Yeah. Um, there are certainly some people who would be totally cool with that. I I don't know that I'm that kind of person. So maybe I'm shading this here with a little bit of my own personal feeling. But yeah, experiencing the exact same thing over and over again is not exactly what I'm in for. Because I'm a, a season pass holder at Kings Island. I live like 15 minutes away from it. And I go a couple of times a year. But I found myself that like I can get burnt out on that experience. Like, you know, there's only so many times you can go and ride like the roller coaster that you love like 10 times in a single day because no one's there at the park before it's like, oh, Jesus. Um, but I get your I also take your meaning um, uh-huh. when you ride. And I ride a new roller coaster. It's like they're very rarely new experiences. It's just like just rearranged like, oh, there's a loop here and there's this 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 hills five feet taller and you know, uh, and, and, and yeah. Um, so maybe you're, I, I do wonder like when you're talking about like, it, it's a hundred thousand dollars to go and you have to go for like a minimum of 24 hours. Like it becomes more of a, a thing. Cause like my also, um, as a Kings Island pass holder, like I don't go like most people go, like most people go and like, they're going to go, they show up in the parking lots full. They're going to go because like, Hey, they drove three hours to get here and fuck it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I go in the park, I don't even fucking go in the parking lots full, you yeah. know? Uh, and if it starts to rain sprinkle, I'm going home. Or if I, you know, it's like, it's, it's a completely different way you engage with it when you have that much familiarity. But yeah, I take your meaning. Like if you, especially if you are the type of person who's really attracted, like a, a, a murder death kill simulator, then, and that's really only place you can go to indulge that literally uh, it's video games and Westworld. Maybe reskin Westworld is is cool because yeah, and you're I guess, murder death killing with different guns and different people. 
And I do that with some things, right? Like video games. I think like back when I was playing sure. Counter-Strike all the time, I played the same levels over and over and over again. And granted, right. they were against different people, but we all had the same weapons, the same capabilities. It all played out roughly the same. And I played it thousands upon thousands of times. So I get that. And, and also like I got, th- there was one summer where I like was watching The Big Lebowski all the time, just fucking all yeah. the time. I knew exactly that movie almost word for word. I kept watching it. It kept thrilling me. Uh, it happens. I get that way with some things, I guess. So, yeah. I heard tell one time these two guys watched Groundhog's Day, the movie on Groundhog's Day for 24 hours in a row. I heard. Crazy shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's my turn now. Zach says, so Bernard has seen all possible futures and is now manipulating events to being in the right place and saying and doing the right things at the right time to steer reality towards predicted outcome. Does it remind you of anyone else that we've seen spend time in Westworld? Bernard is basically the new Rohoboam slash Solomon doing essentially exactly what Serac was attempting to do last season. Mm-hmm. So why do we all get on board with this concept being evil? And now we're gung ho for Bernard to wield that same power. Is it as simple as it's now in the hands of a protagonist we care about? Do we inherently not trust Serac last season due to what the show told us about him? But we do trust Bernard to use the same power for good. Not knowing the outcome Bernard is pushing for, we don't actually know what his motive that his motives are entirely benevolent. He learned a lot that likely changed some of his views on humanity while reviewing potential fates for the real world. So we have no reason other than what the show is telling us to trust Bernard to do what we as an audience would consider the right thing. What do you guys think about this role reversal and what does it potentially reveal about the human condition as viewers clearly being manipulated by very crafty writers? I think this question is extremely revealing uh, about who we are as people. I think there's an inherent mis- or distrust of uh, technology and uh, certainly artificial intelligences and algorithms, right, being run on us as human beings. I think we get very squeamish about that stuff, and myself included, because I'm in the exact same boat that Zach's describing here. Uh, yeah, and when we put it in the hands of a protagonist who we're we've already had time to learn about and care for we get a lot less squeamish a lot more comfortable yeah i mean that's a good way to look at it um i guess there's a track record with bernard because bernard is the essence of arnold you know essentially arnold's personality ran out of fidelity that dolores couldn't tell them apart right and what we know about Arnold is Arnold sacrificed his own life uh, on the belief that he was liberating a people, uh, standing I, up for injustice. I think it's very important to say also Arnold was at one point a human being. Exactly. So we have a host that was based on a human being that selflessly laid his life down to save a species that is not him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in kind of what Bernard's doing now is the opposite. He's now a host that used to be a human that is now trying to save humanity from his uh, AI brethren because he sees some value there and he's willing to sacrifice his life. Um, Plus that Hal voice does no favors for <laughs> <laughs> for uh, Solomon Boehm. Where Serac was always based on fear, you know? Bernard is yeah. more based on hope. Um, and I get, yeah, yeah this is like, that's a good point. But, 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 but I think Zach's right. It's like, um, another way to say it is like, I like it when bad things happen or I like it when good things happen. And I don't like it when bad things happen. Like sometimes you can be hypocritical. Like you should never hit people, should never kill people. 
But like, you know, I'm fine with a person shooting a person that's trying to kill innocent people, you know, because that's a a good thing that's happening that I don't want to get in the way of. So, yeah, there was yeah. also something sinister about, you know, the outliers and eliminating them from the equation, whereas it, I, maybe this is a distinction without a difference here, but I feel like Bernard is guiding the path by simply reacting in specific ways to the things that are happening to him. Whereas Rehoboam was going out and like forcing people to live lives that they didn't want to live and otherwise would not have lived if they got onto that path. I, right. It, it, it might be a distinction without a difference. They might be doing identical things here yeah. and I'm just shading it because Bernard is, you know, more sympathetic, but like, yeah, I feel like there's something fundamentally different about what Bernard is doing versus Rehoboam. Kind of, this kind of reminds me of the conversation we had that philosopher that you guys will hear next week where like there's several points of conversation where like I'm not sure we're actually <laughs> arguing about a difference or distinction or her, but yeah. you know but but yeah we are I just can't yeah like I said I think I think what what Jim said is it's it's a re- extremely revealing question you're asking yes and there's it's not too hard in real life to look at uh, you know you might be comfortable with a certain power that uh, that the government would have in certain people's hands and then be like oh fuck no if another person gets their hand on that lever you know uh, I, you see that all the time uh, it's human nature I, I just wish I had if 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 my bulk app perception is at a, a 10. Uh, the the philosopher we talked to his bulk cap perception is at like a twenty. Yeah, I wish I wish I could crank mine up to higher. his because goddamn, <laughs> maybe one day. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to you guys here, and that'll that'll be out probably next week. Um, we have one other thing to consider, but it is uh, building on the spoilery thing that we talked at the end of this week's episode. So if you bailed on that, you probably want to bail on this because there's some more information that's come out around that um, potential spoiler that we talked about. So uh, if that's you, westworldofbaldmove.com is, again, how you continue to communicate with us and how you get on to the feedback show. Uh, we will be back this Sunday live on the air just after 10 p.m. Eastern as soon as the first uh, – as soon as, a, 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 you know, an hour after HBO Max drops their Westworld episode to do our instant take episode. And then if you're a club member, you can participate live with the instant talk where you can essentially do this in real time with us. And if that sounds cool, go to support.baldmove.com. And make sure you're a club member. And if not, we'll see you for the instant take on Sunday night and then our full episode review next Tuesday. Westworldofbaldmove.com. All right, everybody else into the spoiler section. So, as you'll recall, we had some rumors that HBO had put stuff out on social media that seemed to confirm a 23-year gap between uh, Bernard going to sleep and waking up outside of the sublime. Um, But we didn't have any confirmation. We had rumors. We had people said it. We had people in the comments kind of wigging out about it, but there was no smoking gun. Someone got me a screenshot of the HBO Max account uh, that posted. It seemed like it's an automated thing. It posted at 9 o'clock on the 11th of July, year 2022 of our Lord, it says it's it's got the Bernard in the cafe with uh, Stubbs 
And Bernard's saying you'll settle for the tuna. And Stubb says you came back even weirder than when you left. And the caption is 23 years in the sublime will do that to a guy. The only way that this isn't legit is if this is a type, it was a legit typo, you know, and the 23 was not sure. supposed to be there. But like it lines up exactly with. Honestly, the growth of the tree, the overall condition of the world, the double, the double uh, 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 population, or what was a mass casualty events, and right at the 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 year that Rehoboam slash Solomon predicted the total population collapse, it seems like this is a sure thing that it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like eight to ten years after Maeve and Caleb. It's more like twenty three years total distance between Bernard, you know, end of season three and Bernard's beginning of his adventure here. Yeah. I'll throw a, another thing into that. I think we are, we have already seen the vehicle that shows up in the temperance flash forward that we see in mm-hmm. Bernard's like time in the sublime. Uh, I think that's important, right? To tell us where we are. We're in a, we're in a timeline with him after the sublime has already, or sorry, after temperance has already fallen to shit. Yeah. And that yeah. is not in the eight years future because or seven or eight years future because that's where Caleb been a maver at. It's all shiny and new. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, that uh, seems like this is myth confirmed, and uh, we can uh, now have a thought. I wonder how long the show will take to spool this out. Oh God, yeah. Because they got it. Here's the thing. I I, I think they I, uh, we we mentioned this last season that we thought that they'd learned a lot from season two. Uh huh. They put these split second images in Bernard's head and they knew that we'd pause it. And they yes. got to know that when we see her car and the dusty ass temperance that that we're going to draw certain conclusions. Yeah. And it's inevitable as soon as they put it out that within 15 minutes, the Internet is going to pounce on that, blow it up. Here's the car. Here's the like just like, you know, all the podcasts, all the YouTube, all that stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. I hope that they are not going to go more than an episode or two with this. He he. Well, how many timelines are we talking about? Um, yeah, but we'll see because boy, there'll be some toe tapping if they continue to construct <laughs> narratives based on that viewer confusion. The thing is, yeah, if you're a casual viewer, you definitely miss that. There's no way you notice the car, even if you notice that it's temperance. You don't notice the car, which is what actually connects Bernard to that moment in time, right? Right. But that's just like like uh, one of the lessons I, you, I think you learn is you have to tell the story so that your most passionate, rabid fans, you got to count on them figuring it out. Oh, yeah. Uh, you don't want to turn them into haters of the show, right? Because it's taking right. sweet ass time. So, right. Yeah, no, so, I'm with you. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, uh, we're did the outro. Westworld at BaldMove.com. If you'd like to send us feedback on uh, our thoughts on the feedback episode or the episodes themselves, your latest theories, speculation, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we will see you in just a couple days, Sunday night, uh, to see what uh, episode four has in store for us. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.